gathered round And they gazed in wide wonder At the joy they had found The head nurse spoke up Said leave this one alone She could tell right away That I was bad to the bone Bad to the bone Bad to the bone Bad Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, let me check your cell phone to see if it's... Because <laughs> <laughs> people are eavesdropping on us all the time. All the time, yeah. All the time. Well, Bill, today we want to talk about uh, something light, peppy, and sunny-eyed. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't say optimistic, but we, you've pointed, you brought to my attention a piece in the New York Times... Fake news. Fake news. <laughs> I like it in that tweet where it was like the fa- the the crooked, but not as crooked as Hillary. New York. <laughs> it's just. Oh my goodness. But what's great about like that situation is like today. I bet you this would be really funny if we were Canadian. I mean, this would uh, be hilarious. Uh, yeah. yeah. So like today in the, in the news in the like freewheeling press thing with the South Korean president. He talks about all this stuff about the FBI and everything. He says, and I'm learning disturbing things from your reporting. So then it when it, it wait, I thought it was all fake news, but now it's accurate. But then he still spun ne- inaccurately what they're reporting about this FBI source. Yeah. And but then he's like asking, talking about all these things related to the to the investigation. Somebody says, "Do you have confidence in Rod Rosenstein?" He's like, uh, "Come on, I'm here." With the president of South Korea. He doesn't want to hear about this. Like, like, oh, wait, we talked for 35 minutes about all sorts of things. Oh, wait, inappropriate. We have a dignitary here. It's uh, just very, like, it's just, that there's no shame. It's fascinating. No. There's no, yeah. Yep, yep. Any rate. Original sin on display. But we do have, by the way, we there's a deal on commemorative coins. Uh, Commemorative, yeah, for our 500th for the- episode. <laughs> Yeah, we're at any rate. So, original sin. So, original sin. So, this is by this piece is called "What's So Good About Original Sin," and it's in the New York Times. I don't know if it's on the web version or the, or if it appeared in in the print version too. But uh, it's by Crispin Sartwell, who I did. I don't want to say a deep dive. I did a shallow dive in this guy. He's a Dickinson. He's an anarchist. And he actually, that Dick in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, yeah, which is, I think, Central Pennsylvania is generally the hotbed of anarchists. I grew up there, and uh, we actually, I actually supervised the Young Life Club in Carlisle, and at the time, there weren't very many anarchists. There. I think there are lots of isms. I wouldn't isms, say anarchism yeah. is generally one of them, but he actually is. <laughs> was he's tenured and got fired and rehired quickly. He there he claimed that somebody plagiarized him from Oklahoma, some professor, and. On his blog, posted some country song in response or something, and it was taken as a violent threat. And then, was it a Toby Keith song? <laughs> I, I don't know. I should, see. This is why I did it shallow sometimes. I didn't. I should have looked up the song, but I will. I will try to find it. But yeah. But it was interesting because he um, he's an anarchist, and yeah, he yeah. is. And we've both been to the anarchist bookstore in West Philadelphia. Tell your tell your story. <laughs> well, no, it's the anarchist bike shop actually. Where oh, well, there's a bookstore too. Right, there is. There's one uh, the bookstores. Uh, the they're both on Baltimore Avenue. Yeah, actually. yeah. Uh, so it's interesting when I was at the bike shop getting my bike fixed. I was like, I walked behind the counter, and they're like, "You can't do that." And I'm like, "Wait, I thought this was the anarchist bike shop." Like, 
What, now that's when we have all these rules? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's something about going to the anarchist bookstore and getting herbal tea. It just felt, <laughs> it felt like you should be able to drink, like, fire water or something that's, you know, uh, flaming cocktails or something. Yeah, they do have a really nice flaming cocktail at the Vietnamese place on Baltimore. Yeah. They're, yeah. Um, the, um, oh, shoot, the name escapes me, but they used to own the Deli and the Expanse. It says Vietnam. Yeah, Vietnam Cafe. Yeah, yeah, yeah Vietnam yeah. Cafe. Excellent food and... They have a flaming cocktail, Lindy. So many of you, when you visit Philadelphia, don't necessarily venture over to West Philadelphia. But it's now, awesome. It is awesome, and it's. Uh, and I like to take when I go into because I used to live there. But when I go from out here, what I do is I like to take the train. Well, you lived in, to, you kind of lived in University City. No, nah, I lived at forty seventh. Oh, okay, forty eighth. Like I, I lived. Remember. It's been a while since. I yeah, lived. I lived. I lived okay. out. I lived in the West. Part. Okay, all right. Um, yeah, I mean that's like like I live. Well, it's becoming that's that, that real now, estate. Yeah. Now it's it, yeah. Now it's inching out, but like that's right. I'm sorry, I forgot. I, I like to take the trolley. Like I like to Ooh. um trolleys are nice. You know, I like to uh, get the trolley at 30th Street. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of original sin and the trolley, um, yeah, one of the things he argues for is you know if you want a secular version of it, and, and it's an, it's an interesting. Uh, he talks about the fact that, you know, he, in his own journey, that he himself finds that, uh, you know, he, um, that which he would like to do, he does not do. In other words, he even quotes, uh, he, he quotes uh, Hart's uh, uh, Romans 7 in his thing. And I would know, interprets it the traditional Reformation way. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting thing. That, because Paul, I mean, this is one of those things like when you read the text and Paul says, you know, the thing is, I, wretched man that I am, the things I, I, I don't want to do, I do, and things I want to do, I don't do. And you read that, and if you're honest about the human condition, it's like, well, that's like everybody in the human condition. And what New Testament scholars have this art of telling you, like, what everybody sees is kind of obvious, like, literally, like, existentially, literally, you read it, and like, no, 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 it's kind of, there's complex, there's, you know, it's a hypothetical Israel, hypothetical Paul, pre-post-conversion, a psychological consciousness, it's rhetorical, it's a slick rhetorical, like, what does it mean then? Well, it's complicated. <laughs> but, well, but I, here are I, I wouldn't just throw out all that scholarship. I, I wouldn't throw it out either. You just I, did. I, that. I spent a lot of time reading it, but I'm just saying on certain issues like this. One, you can you can understand why, regardless of what it actually means in the context of Romans seven, you understand why it appeals to our sense of human condition. And there's a lot of there's a lot of texts that we that appeal to us that actually. How we interpret them don't necessarily was not the intent, but that's part of the living word, is it not? So absolutely, yeah. They, look at there. I just compromised with you on Romans seven. Well, yeah. Well, I don't. I'm not compromising. <laughs> I said I. I said I. I yeah, yeah. I said I didn't. I didn't give you the benefit of that doubt. But anyway, um, so <clears throat> you know, I think it's a. It's actually something that, um, in fact, uh, G.K. Chesterton said in uh, Orthodoxy, the the only. The only part of our faith that has imperial data to back it up is original sin, and he says it was also by Reinhold Niebuhr. Yeah, so it's why I quoted Chesterton Sunday in a sermon preached at your church in your absence. I, I were I said you know Chesterton, the London Times had this oh, right. contest where they that asked for submissions to the question "What's wrong with the world?" and Chesterton wrote, "I am yeah. G.K. Chesterton." Yeah. I, I you know I used that the other day. It's apocryphal. There's never been able to find actually the evidence of it, but it's so it's so good it must be true. If it's not true, it is anyway. Now, so it's interesting because uh, Professor Sartwell lists you know. How, and you decide you want to hang out with him. I do. I do. I like he he. 
<laughs> his most recent book is like basically it's like a philosophical theory of everything. And I read you the table of contents yeah. on the phone. I was like, really, this is a pretty good like two sections, three subsections in each, dealing with epistemology, uh, it's metaphysics, axology, like beauty. I'm like this. I want to read this. Like, yeah, I, I think no, it, it sounds interesting uh, too. The hardback is ninety five dollars, <laughs> so we will probably steal thirty four. Well, he's an anarchist. I'm going to write the publisher. Should an anarch should an anarchist be charging ninety some dollars for his book? Yeah, I <laughs> I, I don't think an anarchist you you can yeah, have, you, you can, can have money right? You, yeah, you don't have to. Be, yeah, you you're, just, you, yeah, just like regulate. Like I don't know. That'd be funny is if he said, "Please don't steal this book." Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so <clears throat> I I do think there's. I think this sense of we, we talked about this. By the way, let me just say he qualifies in the in the essay, which we'll post in the show notes. But he he qualifies. Look, this could be pessimistic. It could be dour. It could be problematic. Also, for the originators in the tradition from whence it comes, it, it becomes hard to see why a benevolent God. You know, this raises all sorts of problems. Why a benevolent God creates tragically flawed creatures like this? But that being said, all with all of that, mm-hmm. he says. This is there's something incredibly useful here. Well, yeah, we talked a couple episodes ago about kind of what comes out of you know cla- classic liberalism and and not the, not the way we talk about it now was they had a very optimistic view of what the human intellect could do and a very pessimistic view of what the human will could do. Right, and so the emotion and the will, and so over time, this is why, uh, like for instance, the founders of our republic. Uh, <laughs> Soon to be a blessed memory, possibly, but <laughs> but the founders of our republic thought that this is why the thing is designed to create a little bit of gridlock because it's like over time the arc could bend towards reason, but in the moment everything like our collective impulses will generally be self interested, emotional. The passions will override things, and so when reason works, it tends to work over the long haul. Looking back, what did? Uh, Hegel say Minerva, the wings of Minerva look retrospectively, right? Wisdom is always in retrospect. Mm-hmm. So that you need deliberative processes because generally we'll, we'll get to the right answer after we try all the wrong ones. Right. You know, it's, it's really interesting. Um, I think often it's easy for us um, to isolate ourselves from, from this view of original sin because we do, you know, we've, Many of us have been raised to say, you know, I'm okay, you're okay. You give warm fuzzies, not cold pricklies. Did you ever did you ever have a have a teacher do that? That poor, they went away to some seminar, so we had that for for a couple years, uh, which was awful. But the sense of people, you know, you people, everybody gets a trophy for participation. So there's even a sense where we've tried to shield people from even any sense of failure, and uh, and so. I do think it's a very important. Um, it's, it's good when you have a secular voice. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but that he he approaches this kind of as a secular version. Of yeah, this. he does not strike me as traditionally religious in any sense. Yeah, but he but it, it, there's some instincts there. There's some intuitions. Well, yeah, and this is the thing where like you can where you can like from the ground up. It's almost like you kind of wants the the someone like an atheist, an atheist like Bar Campolo sort of wants to get rid of the tradition the christian traditional kind of conception of god they still want and all the christian money he wants christian money but (laughs) once or at least he wants an organization to do activism with that looks like the one he had before but he also wants to get rid of the traditional things like original sin and things like that like this guy sounds like well i i'm not into theology i think 
the kind of ground up anthropology that is derivative of it, it makes some sense. <laughs> well, right. There's a lot of evidence that there is. I, and, I, and again, I think it, you don't have to have um, an extreme August, you know, Augustinian view of it. I, I think you have to have an Augustinian view, but you don't have to. You don't have to agree with some of the most extreme points of Augustine or the way some of his followers, you know, <clears throat> reappear. And and but well, both Calvinists and Wesleyan, uh, both Calvinists and Wesleyans do. You know, had a you know theology or believed in original sin. And so you don't have to have this idea that's you know passed down genetically or whatever to understand that in reality none of us are born innocent because we're born in a context. You don't even have to go with any kind of, you know, speculation about the will and all that, but we are born into the context of all the mistakes and sins that are both figurative and actual fathers and mothers make. Yeah, and now, especially like with what we know about things like epigenetics, well, I mean, it's just new. But we're con- thinking about it, or what we might... Or what we think we might know, that actually right. that nature might, or nurture might change nature, that actually uh, that DNA might change with tragedies and things like this and trauma and things like this. So, Well, well we know metabolism changes with it. Right, and but also, like, you know, there's studies that like... And brain cells. Cor- and- yeah, the, the, the traditional kind of wisdom has been that, well, things might mutate, but those things don't get passed on the DNA. You can't mutate DNA. Now a lot of people are thinking, no, it looks like the, the mutations can be passed on. Well, yeah. Which, if it really, enough weird stuff happens with corporate pollution and stuff, maybe we'll get X-Men for kids, <laughs> which would be really cool. <laughs> that, mutants, now that'd be cool. Well, you know, what the fuck is I have my... I, if I was a mutant, I would get like, I would wind up with like underwater breathing or something. Or like that, I always think that's the lamest power. Like somebody that can breathe underwater. They're still vulnerable to bullets. They can't, they don't have x-ray vision. They're not super strong. They could just stick their head in a fishbowl and breathe. Like that would be my, or I would get something like overactive smell. <laughs> Although that one could be kind of useful. Like my wife has smelled cancer before. She's like, this patient really can't. I, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'd get something like, what superpower would you want? You could get one, only one. Mm, I think fly. I'd fly. I see. This is the thing. I, here's what I think about that. With only one, you need a really good suit because you couldn't go that high unless you had an uh, answer. That's true. You're still pretty vulnerable. I think like. Yeah, because you could still run into things. I think telekinesis is what I take. Because you could make force fields. If you need money, you could go to the roulette wheel. See original sin. I'm thinking very like you know. If you need a few thousand bucks, you could just make it hit red thirty eight. You could like that's you could do the Darth Vader choking thing. You could like save somebody that's falling. I I, I think of no, like that's yeah, because I just realized my my luck. My you know I found out I can fly, and the first thing I do is run into a flock of seagulls. Right, exactly. <laughs> Boom, I'm down. I always look for two for powers in that exercise. Like, what power is like a two for? Like, what kind or a three for? Like, what could think? You might even be able to make yourself fly with telekinesis if you're good enough. All right. Well, there we are. We're working. Always on say telekinesis. All right. Well, I'll, if I if the genie appears and I get my exactly, three you wishes. get anything. Say telekinesis. All right. Thank you. Whenever somebody says like telepathy, reading minds, I'm like, you're the devil. You, like, because that would erode every relationship. Like, it would, oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean, no, you can't. No, yeah. no, no. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it 
because of the conversations you find here. If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Sari Graham, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Blythe, David Norling, Charlotte Donlin, Barry Stewart, Larry Rule, Stephen Lipless, John Schneider, Ben Crosby, Liam O'Brien, Jim Cress, Stephen Rowe, Ben DeHart, Jordan Morseberger, Josh Redder, Jennifer Underwood, Kai Whitpenig, Simone Garabedian, and Jim Kirk. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the show. Again, I, I do think that, you know, f- for instance, the whole phenomena of blind spots, or not even blind spots, I start talking about Abby. Um, Abby, my four-year-old, is so sweet. Matter of fact, you know, I took her along with me the other day to, uh, to do some- Your something. four-year-old granddaughter. What did I say? You said my four-year-old. I was thinking people oh, were going to think right, like, well, right. hey, no. no Bill doesn't I've, have small children. Uh, for my four-year-old granddaughter, and the only grand, I have four sons, three grandsons, and one granddaughter. So, you know, I'm still figuring it's fun just because it's like a little experiment. What do these little girls do? But I took her along. I was working on a project for church. She was so charming. She helped. We were trying to negotiate this thing. She helped. <laughs> she helped the cause by just being cute. Um, but... She, it was raining and she couldn't wear her rain boots. And I said, well, why can't you wear your rain boots? And she goes, there's cheese in my rain boots. I said, well, how did cheese get in your rain boots? I go, I don't know. I said, did your brother put cheese in rain boots? No. Did your mommy put cheese in your rain boots? No. Did daddy put cheese in rain boots? No. <clears throat> I said, well, Abby, that only leads one person. She looks at me, I did not do it. And then she started smiling. So, you know, again, I think putting cheese in your rain boots is, you know, actually the only person that really hurt was Abby because she loves the rain boots. But who taught her how to, who taught her not only to lie, but to, you know, she not only did the deed, but she's learned the cover up. Observing her grandfather. <laughs> I, I could tell you, I could tell you that I've never put cheese in any of my shoes. Allegedly, you love cheese. I like I cheese. I can see you doing it for a spare, just as a well, maybe in my, po- in my pocket. Pocket, yeah. Like uh, Napoleon Dynamite, who kept tots in his pocket. Remember that scene in the movie? <laughs> so I want to quote Professor Sartwell here, because he says something. This is, I think, at the heart of his argument. He says, in short, perhaps it's time for a new Puritanism, though with fewer witch trials this time around. <laughs> it's a witch hunt. <laughs> but I mean, he says, um, when I look within, I see certain ex- extreme failings. I've not been able to get rid of most of them, and I've accumulated others as I've gone along. Perhaps you've done better, but most of us certainly come up short of our own ideals, ones I hope most people, religious or not, generally share, to be generous, peaceful, energetic, and helping others, and hesitant to help ourselves at their expense, to take care of the world we inhabit, to not only not kill one another, even think about it, but to love one another. Even by our unmoral standards, we are profoundly flawed. To complicate matters further, action undertaken for apparently good motives can often yield unintended harmful consequences outweighing any possible good effects. 
We can intend at best only a tiny proportion of the effects of any of our actions. And trying to make the world an excellent place for human beings to live by developing and applying ingenious technologies, for example, we may wind up rendering it uninhabitable. Or in trying to keep ourselves safe and secure by stockpiling defensive weaponry, we may annihilate life on Earth. There's no need for God's punishment when you're making your own hellfire. Yeah. <laughs> sin yeah. is, it, I mean, sin is its own punishment on one level. It is, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's very true. And, um, you know, it's, it's a good reminder of Romans 1. What, what is ultimate, according to Paul, the ultimate judgment of God? He left them to their own designs. And so I do think we are, we do reap what we sow. There's no, there's no kind of weird alchemy about that. It's just, it, it's just, you know, you do things and they come back to haunt you or they haunt the ones you love or they haunt your neighbor or whatever. I mean, there is this idea of, uh, the fact that there can be, and, you know, that we can do things without there being an effect, you know, is, is, you know, it's part of why our environment is polluted. It's part maybe why we're uh, actually developing artificial intelligence that could put the species at risk. There's all kinds of, and, and then, you know, the other thing too is that there is a, in the history of human political endeavor, there have been many examples where people chose leaders that led to their destruction uh, or lesser evils. But nonetheless, people have a tendency not to choose what's best for them. Abso- that's absolutely true. And we've seen that in many, many ways recently many ways. in our culture. But I think, you know, what's oh, in- yeah, just I mean, I, I mean, again, it's uh, it, but throughout history. Yeah. I mean, and again, you know, it's interesting too. I mean, we've talked. I'm not. Uh, I mean, know. people bought the new Coke formula years ago. Yeah, you talked new Coke, but even the Confederate, all the you know, the idea of all the Confederacy and and you know, the people, many people who have nothing, you know, who didn't, he, whose ancestors didn't even fight, uh, did not learn the lesson that the people who actually fought in the war learned. And uh, so, you know, there's things like that. We we are <laughs> uh, uh, there's this amazing. One of those lessons would be, hey. Blue and gray do not help camouflage you in the environment, right? <laughs> These are colors that well, are very, they're sharp, there was, there but was, maybe we do uniforms that blend in with the environment. Well, you, you know what's even more insane that in the first days of World War I, the French were wearing red pants. I love red pants. Yeah, no, you would not if you, we would not with German snipers shooting at you. Yeah, I, you're right. I wouldn't, but no. I, I love red pants. No, they're, they're, you know, we, and it's, it's funny, we, we scoff at those before us. We say, well, how come people couldn't see what was going on? But uh, the truth of the matter is it's, it's our own history as well. I, I've just got done reading um, three papers from my uh, you know, second church history class the, uh, from the Reformation forward. And I'm sure, I don't know, I can't remember. I'm sure I have, but I had three descendants of slaves write about slavery. And um, I, in ways that, um, and again, I've, I've worked, you know, and I have many colleagues in the African-American community, but there's something about them struggling with the theological significance, historical significance of it that just reminds me that I have no idea. I have no idea what it means to be part of that community and that heritage and that um, that legacy, you know, one of my students, when he gave the presentation, um, successful businessman, um, African-American, uh, and he said, every morning when I look in the mirror, I'm reminded that some owner raped one of my ancestors because he has blue eyes. And so 
the sense where we talk about the good old days, returning to things, and the reality of it is uh, African-Americans are still dying by the ongoing consequences of the fact that we built our empire on the backs of men, women, and children. And we, you know, we still have not fully dealt with that. And to make things worse, we are, you know, um, we are damning some of the very people that do the work that we don't want to do. Uh, um, you know, it might not be a bad idea to play Deportee again by uh, Woody Guthrie, one of the last songs he wrote, and you can listen to it, or his son Arlo sings it. But it's just amazing to me how easily we become blind to the very evil around us. And because we be, we're very good, at, and I am, like everyone else, blind to the evil that's within me. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's interesting, I, I often think. It's like there's a trick, I think, in people I tend to like theologically, that they have a realistic anthropology because of their understanding of original sin, and yet also have... I often think that people that have a sort of rosy-eyed, naive, optimistic, kind of Pollyannish anthropology often have a real openness to transcendent divine presence in the world. And, and often people that have a sort of more realistic, chastened anthropology often think that God doesn't work much in the world, or if, if so, within the confines of certain limited religious structure or something. But the real art form is to have a sort of chastened realistic anthropology and also have the sense that that Christ plays in a thousand places and that that and that God works in spite of uh so you have a sort of openness and yet also a chastenedness which translates into hope yeah as opposed I, yeah. to optimism or pessimism and, and it it seems when i'm trying to think of people who would come into that category i come up with a lot more catholics than i do protestants yeah, I thought I. Yeah, I think. I mean, there's some, but I. I, have a, I think a lot. Of, I can think of a decent number. A decent. I think you're right, though. Probably. Uh, well, it's partially but contemporary Catholic thinkers. Well, I also. Well, but I think it's an Aquinas. Yeah, but I. I think like like Mark Mattis, who wrote this book on Luther's Theology of Beauty. I mean, this is kind of how he views things, and I think of people like well, Paul Zoll. I think kind of has this kind of view, and there. I think there are certain. Kinds of Protestants that, but uh, Thomas Halik, Catholic, has yeah. it too. I mean, but I, that, well, I, I think, I mean, maybe it's not a matter of being Eugene Catholic. Peterson, I think, would have this. Yeah, I, maybe it's not a matter. Well, but I, it, it doesn't part of where's where has Eugene Peterson been fed most theologically? I, I know he does most of his reading in Idaho, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I mean, everything before the Reformation belongs to all of us. So, I mean, and I think the reality of it, all theology belongs to the entire church. We don't. We don't have to participate. That's why Bill reads his Joel Osteen, because the whole thing belongs to the whole church. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, <laughs> it also it uh, props up my table really nicely. Exactly. But uh, no, I, so I think the great tradition, because the great tradition has been trying to deal with reality, and, and I think it gets back to, I still think this idea that optimistic about what a uh, redeemed mind can do, but always suspicious of what the will and the emotions are yeah. capable of. I think that's a very... Solid Christian, it can be. There's, you know, you don't have to have a Christian version of it, but I think a Christian version of it is what gives us, gives us classical Christian humanism. And uh, I, I still think in the 21st century that may be the most important thing we need to do. Uh, yeah, that, I think that's the compelling thing. Yeah, yeah, I do too. And I mean, there doesn't have to be one version of it. You know, I, I think people will get to the truth of Christianity now through its anthropology. I, I agree 100. And I don't think you have to be a neo-Thomas to do it. There's a lot of different approaches. Again, you don't have to be 
you know, because I've just been reading one website where, you know, my uh, optimism about um, the Catholic community has been has been greatly damaged by, <laughs> by reading hey. <laughs> because the Catholics have their— The Internet will do that. Yeah, too. the Catholics have their right-wing kooks, too. But at any rate, uh, but I do think there's—I mean, I think it's rooted in— um, yeah, I, I, it's rooted in in Genesis. It's rooted in the idea of the creation. It's rooted in the power of the recreation. I mean, in the vision that you know you have. I think it's funny. My study with Jewish scholars uh, has helped me see this more alive in my own tradition. But yeah, yeah, and I think a great book. If you ever want to do some theological reading, this I'm sitting here. Hold, it's right like in my in my reach. It's um, Henri Blochet, Original Sin, Illuminating the Riddle. It's only. Uh, like a hundred and it's not like 150 pages or something, but it's a fantastic sort of biblical and historical study with sort of constructive proposals. So it's a book I like a lot. And I, and you a, could just read Augustine yeah. or the Bible. Yeah. When or just look around at the, you know, <laughs> go to, yeah, the, really observe your family at, the, at holiday dinner. And, well, yeah. and the truth of these things <laughs> will come about. Just observe yourself. And yeah, what you're look thinking. at the mirror. Yeah. You know, one thing I, I've always said, the reason we have a prayer of confession every week at church is because we need it. But uh, after that, we, we actually get to share Jesus. When you pass Amen the peace, you get to share the Jesus. So, um, yeah. Take I like care. my Jesus in a tuxedo. <laughs> so we love all you sinners out there. Amen. Came down the mountain, dragging our love affair. Got on a pretty little number I'm wearing still. It was a hell of a scene at Daddy's feast. Nobody saw it coming but the little red devil in me. He has a funny way, saying forever too fast. Don't get mad, can't blame a tramp for something he don't have. I get on my knees and beg you, hear my sinner's prayer. I am what I am, and I don't want to break the heart of any other man. But you, but you, oh, hear my sinner's prayer. It's the only one I know that sure as hell don't rock. Was it as good as, good as, good as, good as gold? a baby sister who looks just like me and she wants nothing more than a man to please maybe she's in too deep her love for him ain't she but it breaks just like a knockoff piece from Fulton Street the man's got a gift